Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we lay our lives at the cross where you laid everything down for us, Jesus. We lay our lives at the foot of the cross. God, the old life is behind us. The new life has come because of you, because you paid the debt that we owed. Jesus, you went to the cross for us, and we're so thankful today. God, we can never say thank you enough. We could never give enough of our lives back to you. And so every moment, every breath, every dream, every ambition, we laid at the foot of the cross today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give our God a hand, church. You can be seated. Good morning. How you doing this morning? Praise the Lord. Hey, how about in Jesus' name, may chains fall and fear bow, right? In Jesus' name. So glad to have you this morning. If you're a, a regular attender, a member, we'd love to see you today. If you're a first-time guest, we love you today. So uh, I would invite you, if you're a first-time visitor, uh, or maybe you haven't been here a while and you have updated contact information, there is a card in front of you. We call it the connection card. It'll be, unless you're on the front row, it's in the seat in front of you. You can also do it online, uh, either at mosaiccincinnati.com or if you have the app, there's a, a thing there for connect. And if you would, just take a minute. Uh, we're not going to spam your inbox or anything like that, but we do have a weekly update. And uh, our pastor and some of the staff would like to, to be able to reach out to you. So uh, again, welcome. You know, this is the house of the Lord, not because of the sign on the building, but because we have made the Lord welcome here today. We are focused on Jesus and our Heavenly Father. So um, let's just pray real quick. Um, I would also just remind you that uh, we, you can give either out front to the, with the ushers or there's a donation box out there. You can also give online. Um, uh, and I do want to just uh, pray a blessing upon uh, any giving today, which we uh, encourage you to do. So, Father God, Lord, we thank you that you are uh, the giver of all good gifts. Lord, I was reminded this morning of the song that we, uh, many of us may have sung growing up, where we started off that, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And God, you uh, have provided us with many blessings, uh, with um, work, and with uh, provision, Lord, that you meet all of our needs and so many of our wants. Today, God, as we give to you, Lord, as we give tithe, which you've said belongs to you, and as we give offerings, God, as, uh, as a blessing back to you, we ask that you would bless them. Bless them for your kingdom and your ministry, and also for those who give them today. And I just invite everyone to say with me in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Blessings. Right, and then you break it out into the different units, 320 and 5, and then you break out the bottom units, 10 and 15. But all you actually have to do is multiply this 5 by that 5, and then multiply it by the 2. But that's not the way they're doing it anymore. If you looked at the book, you would have seen. You break but it out into these different units. Why did they change it? It worked when I was a kid. Well, they want to do it now this way, okay? It's more organized information, I guess. This isn't so organized. 3, this makes no sense. 
If you have a kid in school, uh, you know what we're talking about, right? There's some new things. Man, back when I went to school, it's like memorize your multiplication facts, and you memorize them. Now it's like I got to do this and fill this box and, and this box. There's new ways of doing things all over the place, right? Can you even imagine how fast things are changing? I cannot, <laughs> you know? And, and I mean, just, just a little personal example here in my life. At the beginning of this week, I wasn't going to lead worship this week, right? But things happen, and here I am singing with you today. And man, I had so much fun. But seriously, things change at the speed of light these days. Things change all the time. But long before we hit technology and long before we got into this new age of, of things just moving so fast, God came. He sent his one and only son, flesh and blood, to die in your place and mine on the cross. And he came to do that to make all things new, beginning with your heart and mine. And so today we're going to get into a new series. Uh, you guessed it. It's called All Things New. And so if you could grab your notes right there uh, by you on a seat close to you. If there's not one close, just get up and go get one. They're, they're all around you. And we're going to jump right in. And the first blank in your notes today is called, I Need a New Heart. And so uh, this week and for the next three weeks, we're, we're going to be in this series, All Things New. And each week we're going to ta tackle a different area of us. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And I really believe that Jesus wants to make all of that new in you and me. And so we're going to look at some really practical ways over the next few weeks how Jesus wants to make all things new. In Psalm 51, uh, this is the star of our story today, King David. He's a key figure in the Old, Old Testament. He penned these words. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. If you ask me, that's a very desperate, almost a guttural prayer. And we're gonna unpack some of the things that were happening in David's life this morning that, to, that led him to pray that prayer. But this is such a key prayer for each and every one of us because every single one of us, no matter how long we've been in church, no matter how much we want to serve God, there will come a time in our life or there has come a time in our life where we are driven to our knees to pray a prayer like this and to cry out to Almighty God, God, create in me a clean heart. You see, for David to want a clean heart, it would imply that he knew that his heart wasn't clean. He needed a new heart. I was really young. I can't even remember how old I was, but it was the first time I can remember getting caught not telling the truth about something. And like I said, I don't even remember what I did, but I know that I was intentionally and knowingly deceitful. Now, this is a little close to home because my parents are with me today, and so they're the stars of this story. Because I got caught, like I said, I don't even remember why, but I remember how it felt. The conviction that I had done something wrong was like tangible. It was like dripping in the room, and I felt it all over my body. Have you ever been there? And so in our garage growing up, classic garage, tool bench over there with the vice, with the red vice. You know, anybody's dad have the, have the vice 
mounted to the tool bench. And I remember hanging on the, on the wall of the garage for some reason, who knows, I don't know who put it there or why. Maybe it was just some subliminal messaging by my parents, but there was this cheesy green poster with a puppy on it that was like into something that he shouldn't have been into. And there was a quote on that poster that said, faithfulness is doing right even when no one is looking. And so as my dad had this fatherly conversation with me, right, shining a spotlight on what I had done wrong and how, how I had not been truthful and how I did something that I knew was not right, he referenced this poster. Faithfulness is doing right even when no one is looking. So I can't even remember what I did, but I remember the feeling. And maybe you can think back to a time in your life when for the first time you were confronted with the fact that you were doing something wrong. Maybe it wasn't even somebody that told you. Maybe you remember the first time your conscience told you that something you did was wrong. Maybe you remember the first time you got caught. Maybe you had never even been to church before. You, and, and no one had ever told you that something was wrong. But when you did it, you had this feeling deep in your heart, deep in your gut, that what you just did was wrong. And maybe you even felt it was wrong, but those in charge of you just looked the other way. Listen to what it says in Romans 2.15. It says, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right Man, there's a ton to unpack in Romans, but in this particular passage, it was basically saying that even when no one told you what was right or wrong, that God has put something inside of you called a conscience that is almost like a compass pointing you in the right direction. And so maybe as you begin to grow up and you begin this slow slide towards believing that certain behaviors maybe weren't as wrong as you originally felt, and then we arrive in adulthood, right? And especially now in our culture and our society today, there isn't much room for talk of right and wrong anymore. And so it's kind of funny and it's kind of light and you laugh about little Joe getting in trouble and the puppy on the wall and the poster and, and yeah, we all been there, right? It's another thing to talk about adult size mess ups. Those kind of mess-ups, those kind of impurities that rear their head in our life that don't just take a little five-minute fatherly conversation to fix, but have lasting repercussions, not only in our life, but in our family's life and in those that we love and hold dear the most. And so King David, the star of our story today, he messed up big time. If Just a little refresher on King David. He was a shepherd boy. He was out in the field. He was the youngest of all his brothers. While he was out in the shepherd field, he did amazing things like he killed a bear, he killed a lion, he defending his sheep. So this, this guy was a stud. And so he shows up in the battlefield. He defeats Goliath when no one else would face Goliath. Then he goes into exile. He's on the run. He has great friendships like with uh, King Saul's son, Jonathan. He's on the run. He's doing the right thing, even when it's hard, even when he had chances to take revenge on King Saul who was trying to kill him, he didn't. He was a great man. But in his adulthood, after he became king, after he tasted some success and prestige, 
King David became lax. And he wasn't where he was supposed to do, and he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he was not busy, which is a horrible place to be. It's a horrible place to manage our hearts that naturally bend unpure when you're not busy. So in 1 Kings 15, 5, listen to this just one verse account of David's life and think about yourself through this lens. It says, For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life. Don't you wish we just put a period there? But there had to be the little dash. There has to be the dash. And it says, Except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Man. Like, it's almost like that championship run that you're like, man, this is just, good. This is just too good to be true. My team's winning. There, I, what was the girls' basketball team a few years ago that just didn't lose? And they just kept going and kept going. And, and people are like, maybe, maybe they'll never lose until they lost. And King David, he had had this amazing run. He was doing everything good. Man, he would be the guy that you'd want your kids to act like. He'd be the guy that was on the Wheaties box. He'd be the guy that you'd be like, hey, man, this is the role model. And then his whole world comes crashing down. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He tried to cover it all up. And it was like this massive implosion in his life. What do we learn from this? That even the most godly people can fall into terrible sin, and none of us are exempt. Church, sin is serious. It causes inescapable consequences. Just one lapse into sin can change our lives and the lives of others forever. So much so that we are here a few thousand years later, and we're still talking about the one thing that David did wrong. Can you imagine? Man, I was so close. And then I had that one mess up. But the redemptive story for us today, and this is the kicker, because, man, I didn't, I didn't call you to church today just to make you feel bad. That is not the point of this. And maybe you're sitting there, you're like, man, Joe, this is already heavy. And it's like, it's like and I'm like, sorry to, bear, to be the bearer of bad news, but, man, the gospel is really clear that we've all fallen short of God's perfect ideal. And so the redemptive part of this story for us today is David's response in Psalm 51. But the key word as we look through this today, and the lens that I want you to look through is that this is about my heart. It's not about my spouse's heart. It's not about my son or daughter's heart. This is about my heart, me. And so when we listen to this today, I don't want you thinking, man, man I wish that my my son was here today, or I wish my spouse was here today, or I wish my dad or my mom was here today. Man, this is for you. This is for me. Because every single day, Jesus wants to continue to make our hearts new. His mercies are new every single day. And so how do we get a new heart? Number one, in your notes, the first thing that we learn from Adam is to, number one, admit I need a new heart we got to admit that we need one in the first place. In Psalm 51, 2 through 3, uh, uh, David says this, Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion, and it haunts me 
day and night. Man, that line, God, I recognize the fact that I have been rebellious is so key to beginning a new life. To, to, to get to that place where all things become new. I can't act like nothing is wrong. And maybe you can think to yourself, well, Joe, most, thing, most things are in line. I've done good. But man, when you really lay your head, head down on the pillow at night, when everything gets quiet, you still feel this hole in your heart. And you start to play these, these games in your head like, well, I'm not that bad of a person, right? And you start to compare yourself to everybody else you know, you know in your life, and you're like, man, compared to them, I am awesome. I'm like Captain America compared to them, right? But listen, it's everyone when, when we start to play that game that everyone else has the problem, that everyone else, man, these people need to hear this, that's an even bigger reason for you to need a new heart. Why? Because when people have done things wrong to you and, and your, your life is just full of how people have treated you wrong, offense starts to rot your soul. Offense starts to rot your soul and it poisons the heart. And we need Jesus' help. And so even if you're the one that's been hurt by other people's sin, you also need a new heart. Recognition is the first step. Galatians 2.21, Paul says this. He says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. This is a big verse. And, and translated into our vernacular, what does that mean? It means if you could have fixed your life yourself just by doing the right things, then you would have done so a long time ago. Can I get an amen? Man, if I could have fixed myself, if I could have cleaned myself, if I could have made everything right again, if I could have gotten myself to the place where I lay down to sleep at night and I'm good and there's no like questions in my heart and there's no hole in my life, if I could have done that by myself, I would have a long time ago. But the fact is that you and I needed Jesus. We needed him to go through the cross. We needed him to pay the debt that we owed. And so I love what Paul says. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Man, when we completely disregard the fact that we, me, I need a new heart. And we say, man, I just hope that everybody else gets it together. Then what we do when we do that is we treat the grace of God as meaningless because you're saying with your actions and your attitudes that it's not for you. God has always cared about your heart. Jesus either died for a reason or he didn't. He died for the world, not just some people, for you and for me, and we all have to recognize our need. In Ezekiel 36, 26, Jesus, God says it like this, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. Who is the I in that verse? It's God. He's the one that can give us a new heart, and so we have to start with this very, very just raw realization that I need a new heart. The second thing we learn from David today is to take responsibility for my condition, right? To take responsibility for my condition. Man, I love it in my house. And how many parents know what I'm talking about? When you say, you say to, I've got three, so I'm like, kids, who did this? And what do they all say? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. 
who put this here or who took this and didn't put it back? It wasn't me, right? No one wants to take responsibility. Sometimes we'll have discussions about homework. And, man, you got you to pray for your pastor's kids because they're the brunt of a lot of jokes. Um, and so just pray for them. But, you know, we're talking about homework sometimes, and it's like, well, why didn't you do this? Well, I didn't understand it. Well, does that mean that you're not responsible? Well, the teacher didn't or explain it right, and I just didn't understand it. Well, does that mean that you're not responsible? And, and, you know, and as a parent, you know how long that conversation takes to where you finally just have to tell them, here's what you're going to say. Repeat after me. I am responsible, right? Am I the only one that's ever been there? And so, but the funny thing is, is that adults, we do this sometimes too. We don't take responsibility for our condition. Here's how uh, David taught us to do it in Psalm 51.4. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your, sin, in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. You know, sometimes we fall into a trap of, of thinking, well, God understands what I've been through, and so he understands why I did what I did. Have you ever been there and we just start to justify? And we start, well, well, if I wouldn't have been born in this family, if I wouldn't have gone through this when I was a child, if I wouldn't have, have been through this, then, you know? But at some point... We've got to own it. And maybe you think today, well, Joe, my thing isn't as bad as David's thing. I didn't cheat on, you know, I didn't commit adultery and run out and murder somebody. But here's the deal. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, we've got to come to the same realization and take responsibility. I love what Andy Stanley says. He's a great preacher, and he says it very plainly. He says, I have participated in every bad decision I have ever made. Right? I love that. Relationally, financially, health-wise, every single one of them that's ever happened in my life, guess what? I was there. Right? I was there. Work mistakes. Bad hires you made. When you got fired, you were there. Blow-ups you had online reviews that you typed you were there how about this he then goes on to say that you have participated in every bad decision that you've ever made you and I we were the masterminds behind some of our greatest regrets aren't you aren't you glad you came to church to get encouraged this morning and then I love this is the last part he says we face our greatest leadership challenge every morning in the mirror. And when we look at ourselves and we realize that, man, I'm the most difficult person that I will ever lead. Right? And so didn't, David didn't only take responsibility for the act, though. Here's the deal. He didn't just say, God, I'm sorry for that. Man, he went even a little bit further. In verse 2, he acknowledges that he has a heart condition. And if we don't understand some of the meaning behind some of these words, you might not understand what I mean. So let's dive in a little bit deeper. In the NIV, the translation is, uh, uh, David says, blot out my transgressions and wash away all my iniquity. And so he uses two different words there that mean two different things. You see the word transgression is just the act. Like blot out the things that I've done wrong. 
You know, a lot of times it's like we say, well, I did that, but man, that wasn't me. I just, I just slipped up and I did something that wasn't my intent. And you know, that wasn't me. And then, but he takes it a step further and he's like, wash away all my iniquity. And so if transgression is the act of sinning, iniquity is the state of the heart where sin is birthed. Do you see the difference? It's not just what I do, it's what's in my heart that birthed the sin in the first place. Man, the real theological term for this is called original sin, or that you and I, we have a sinful nature, and we have to to take responsibility for the fact that any sin that comes out of my life birthed in my own heart. Here's a great illustration for this. You know, there's a difference between spilling something on the floor and cleaning it up from spilling something on the floor and cleaning it up. If you take care of it right away, there's no lasting damage. But our hearts more are like this picture, okay? So you think transgression, you spill something on the floor, you wipe it up, you know, we're good. I I made it right, I asked forgiveness, it's, you know, we're good. But there's another level of taking responsibility. And this is, and it's like this. Let's just say you go to vacation. Man, me and the family, we went to St. Augustine Beach this last summer, and we sat on the beach for a week. It's the best thing in the world. Uh, My son's out there catching fish. We're boogie boarding. We're having a great time. You get the picture. We're making memories. We're just loving life, right? We're living, as people say today, we're living our best life. So just imagine we come home, we drive the 20 hours all the way back to where we lived then in Illinois, and and we're still on that high, even though the drive was long and your body hurts and you're sick of sitting there and you've eaten too much sunflower seeds and drank too much Dr. Pepper on the drive. It's like, man, I finally got home and I just get to sleep in my own bed. How many of you love that feeling? And so you walk up to the door and you put the key in the door and you unlock and you step in and you're like, something ain't right. Something ain't right. Lo and behold, some pipe has been leaking and busted dishwasher. This is hypothetical. It didn't happen to me, but I have friends who it did. And the whole entire house is completely flooded, and it's been sitting that way for a week or more. Can you imagine? And this isn't one of those, you know, extreme makeover home edition where they come in, and you just mop it up, and you do this, and you do that, and everything's all right. No, this is like a complete gut Every single thing is soaked and damaged and mildewy and gross. And the only way to take care of it correctly is to tear the whole thing down and start over. It is so irrehensibly damaged that there's no other option but to just say, light a match. (laughs) It's over. We're going to just start over. This is the kind of picture that David's talking about. God, don't just take away the bad act that I did. Fix the core of what has happened in my life because sin has so utterly soaked me that I don't, I don't, I don't just need a quick paint job. I, just, I don't just need the mold mitigation guys to come in and do a, a quick treatment. No, I need you to do a complete and utter heart transplant. You see, this is what David is saying. Wash away all my iniquity. God, don't just take away what I did. Fix my heart. 
You see, we would never ignore that kind of condition in our house, houses, but we do in our heart. I know I have. So many times we act as though we're allergic to being wrong. We're unwilling to take full responsibility for our actions. Even though the Bible says so clearly, like in James 5.16, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you might be healed, right? Healed, completely made whole. <clears throat> the third thing that we learned from David is to ask God to restore my joy. Ask God to restore my joy. And you might be feeling like, man, Joe, this is heavy this morning. Well, hey, we're turning the corner. It's about to be good, get good. Ask God to restore my joy. In verse 8, he says, oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God hears prayers like this. That God doesn't just make you feel bad for what you've done, but he turns your mourning into dancing again. That it's not just, you know, that because religion is saying, hey, you feel bad for what you did. A relationship with Christ says that he's completely transforming us and giving us back the joy of our salvation. You see, for approximately a year, David carried this massive burden of his sin on his own. He was completely crushed physically, spiritually, emotionally, because under its unbearable weight. In Psalm 32, 2 through 4, it says, when I refused to confess my sin... So this is a different chapter, but he's referencing the same thing. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And here's a key truth. When, da when, when he opened the door for sin to enter his life, David's joy and his gladness vanished. And so this is a great... Point of reflection, could it be for the lack of gladness and joy in our lives at, at certain times is because there's some sin that has not been dealt with yet, whether it's relational, unforgiveness, bitterness. I love what they say about unforgiveness and bitterness. It's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die from it. Have you ever been there? And we think, well, it's not my problem. It's what they did. When your heart is sapped, of all joy and gladness because of something that somebody else did because you've let, in a root, you've let a root of bitterness and unforgiveness grow up in your heart. Maybe it's a hidden sin. Maybe it's a pet sin. It's like, man, everybody else's sin is bad, but I've got this one that is just okay. It's just for me. Maybe it's knowingly, this is a big one these days, knowingly, knowingly and willingly choosing to believe other truths than God's word. Maybe you knew God's word says one thing, but because of culture and because of peer pressure and because of what people say, you have began to let uh, other ideologies creep into your heart and your soul. And maybe you're like, man, why don't I feel joyful anymore? Where did my gladness go? Could it be that there's just this little slide and there's this slow fade in your heart where you begin to put your trust in another gospel other than Christ's? And so day and night, David is tortured by his guilty conscience. You know the only thing worse than being tortured by a guilty conscience day and night? When your conscience becomes so numb to sin that it doesn't bother you anymore. And you know there's something out of place, like, man, something's wrong in my life, but you become blind to the sin that, that is, is kind of rotting in your soul. Man, I've been there. 
And so no matter where your conscience stands, whether you feel numb this morning or whether you feel just like David, that there's this heavy hand on you and it's just crushing you, the answer is still the same. Run to Jesus. He wants to give you back your joy. He wants to make your life new again. He wants to completely transform you. Man, have you ever got your joy back? And it's like that favorite song that just makes you get a little, you know, lift in your step comes on in the background, and there's no music playing, but man, you've got your, you've got your step back, you've got your joy back, and you've just, like a weight has been lifted. That's what Jesus wants to do for you today. Radical restoration of joy. The fourth thing that we learn from David is that we need to ask God straight up, God, don't just fix me for today. Don't just do a little shift in my heart. God, I need you to radically renew my heart and my spirit, right? So here's our text. We land finally in our text for today. Once again, Psalm 51, 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And then I will teach your, your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Man, aren't you glad that we serve a God who listens to prayers like that? Who listens to prayers like that? Because, man, when I, when I read this verse, I'm like, man, David... I don't even know if he's really that sure of himself, and that's okay. Why? Because he's saying, make me willing to obey you, God. Make me. Take over my will. Take over my thoughts. Take over my life. Radically transform me and renew me. Make me willing to obey you. Restore the joy of my salvation. You see, David's depraved heart had caused him to do irreversible damage to himself and others. Never again did he want to go back. He was like, I'm done with that. I'm turning my back on that. Never again did he want to hurt his family like that. Never again did he want to hurt other people like that. And he's like, God, I want to serve you. In Ezekiel 18.31, it says, put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit right? It's that 180. It's like, God, I just don't want a little shift. I don't just want a little change. I don't just need one new habit. I need a completely, radically transform, uh, transformation in my life, right? This word right that, that, that is used in this verse, when, you know, you know uh, the, the other translation that says, um, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. This, this, this word right comes from a verb which means to make firm or establish. It means fixed or steadfast. You see, until this horrible failure that David had, he had stood firm in the face of temptation, right? And now he, got, now he asked God to once again stir him to be steadfast, to be somebody who's consistent, to be so, somebody who others can count on. How many of you husbands want to be somebody that your wife can count on? How many of you wives want to be somebody that, that your husband can count on? How many of you want to be a friend that other people can count on? How many of you want to be somebody that God can count on? I don't know about you, but I do. Man, I want God to, to be able to say, I can count on this guy. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. 
doesn't mean I don't slip up. It doesn't mean that sometimes I don't fail. I do. Sometimes I have to look my kids and my wife in the eye and say, I'm sorry. I messed up. Lost my temper. Whatever. And so no one's exempt. But the key is this this desperation, this crying out to God, God, make me steadfast again. Make me immovable. You see, a lot of times after we mess up, we feel really uneasy. We feel unsure of ourselves. We feel like, man, I'm going to mess up again. And that's why I love this model of a prayer that David has given us so much because it's not just God fix me, it's God make me steadfast, make me consistent, make me dependable again. What do I see here as we close today? As we close today, I see intense commitment. Not just a, man, I'll go to church, I'll see how it, you know, feels, I'll check it off the list. No, I see intense commitment. I see honesty. Man, do you just need to get honest with yourself once again? Man, I, I love the saying, when you get real, you can really grow. It's that in that point where, man, I'm going to get it real with you, Jesus. What I see here in this, in this verse is reliance. God, I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to rely on you like I rely on breath. I see a different attitude. I see David moving from something like a customer or a consumer to a raving fan. You know those people that don't even work for the company, but it's almost like they're a salesman for the company? Have you ever met somebody like that? You know, I'm kind of like that with like Apple products. And uh, me and Mark, uh, that's teaching your kids back there right now, we go back and forth about PC and Apple. And man, Apple might as well hire me for how much I I, want to sell their products, right? I'm just like so loving it. And here you see David. He's not just like, okay, God, thanks for what you did for me. He's like, I'm going to teach your ways to rebels and they're going to return to you, right? It's this total transformation, this total renewal of his heart. And then you see him say, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. There was this yearning for God's presence. There was this yearning to be new. There was this yearning that, man, God, I can't do this without you. And so where are you at today? Maybe you need God to just break something in your life and give you back the joy of your salvation. Here's my heart for you. Not that you come in today and feel bad about sin, which there's, there's, a, there's a, a portion for that. We see David felt bad about sin, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is for you to leave today with the weight lifted because of what Jesus did on the cross to walk in joy and freedom this week because that's what God can do. And maybe some of you have, have, have kind of lost faith that God can do that for even you again, for even me, that God can take a cold heart, a stubborn heart, and make it tender and responsive again. Church, Jesus can do it for you. Yes, your situation. Yes, your mess up. Yes, your failure. He can give you your joy back. He can lift that weight. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. We sang that song this morning. He's faithful. 
He makes mountains move, right? He makes prison walls fall. He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, person, individual, family, Jesus wants to show up for you and make all things new. And so stand with me today. We're going to just sing the the bridge of this song one more time just together in a just an attitude of response and saying God do this in my life make all things new everything's on the table Jesus I'm completely surrendering all things I put in your hands forgive me churchless crowd to God create in me a clean heart restore unto me the joy of salvation make my heart willing to obey you. Amen. Let's sing this together. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I Jesus, you change everything. Change. Amen. Invite all in church. Fear. I'll hear. I'll. It's Jesus, you change everything. Life. Heal. Hope found here and now. Jesus, you change everything. Change. Lift your voice. Come on. All fear bow here and now. Jesus, you change everything. Lives heal. Hope found. Here now, Jesus, you change everything, change, fall. Lay our lives at your feet, Jesus. Everything, God, we surrender to you. We cry out in repentance today. We need you to make all things new. Amen. So I just encourage you, if this is your first time to give your heart and your life to Christ, if you say, Jesus, I'm here and I need that. I need a new heart. I need a new mind. I need a new spirit today. I want to be forgiven. If everybody could bow your heads and close your eyes, if that's you today and you're desperate for a change, I'd like you to just raise your hand to heaven as a sign saying, God, this is you engaging and saying, God, I'm here. My life is in your hands. I give everything to you. I want a new heart. I want a new mind. I want everything you have for me, God. Amen. Thanks for raising your hand today. Right there where you're at, pray a prayer just like this in your own words. God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I believe that you died for me on the cross. I believe you rose again on the third day. And from this point forward, I need a new start. I need a fresh start. God, I need you to change my heart. Change my heart. I want to follow you the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, amen. If you put your faith in Christ today, it's a new start. And so I want to encourage you to do a couple things. Go home, get on a reading plan, either grab a Bible, get on your phone, you can go to Bible.com, get on a reading plan, maybe start in Mark 
and begin to just read God's word. Second thing I want you to do is tell somebody. You know, if you want to come tell me after service, I'd love to hear all about it. Um, And then third, come back to church. Make this a part of your weekly routine. Say, I'm going to be in God's house. I'm going to be with God's people, and I'm going to grow in my faith. Amen? Amen. If you do those things, and then as opportunities come up, you jump in a group, or you you jump at other opportunities to grow, you jump in a class, man, just wait and see how God is going to to shape and mold your life. Amen? And so um, I'm going to pray one last prayer of blessing over you. And if my board of directors, if you're here and you're on the board today, if you could just come up across the front. And if you need prayer, they're available to pray for you for anything. Even if it's completely unrelated to the message today, come get prayer and and we'll be um, dismissed today. God, I thank you so much for being here with us today. God, I pray... every single person here that you bless their family life, you bless their work life, you bless um, just every facet of their life in Jesus' name, and that we can give honor and glory to the one who deserves it, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We just want to honor you with our life today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Thank you for being at Mosaic. We'll see you next week.